But just by way of um, some introductory uh, reflections and words, um, the uh, there's a lot of different things that human beings can do over a ten-day period. It's a, as they say, a, a week is a, a very long time in politics. It can be even longer in the spiritual life. So we can go through uh, many, many changes and be experience many different things during what uh, ostensibly looks like not a very long period of time. But um, there are many ways that we can use our, our time and our energy, um, our effort together. Um, and uh, during the course of this, this time, then I'm sure many themes will, will crop up. But um, the main aim of, of a gathering like this for myself, I see, is really quite simple. And that is really to um, discover uh, by looking at uh, our own life, by looking at um, the world around us, by, in, uh, by looking, investigating, and uh, cultivating wisdom we come to understand more completely what we are and what, uh, what the truth is. And, uh, and through that discovery, through that, that un, uh, uncovering, unveiling, we are able to find a, a greater sense of, of harmony, a greater sense of, of uh, peacefulness, a greater sense of freedom. Uh, the, um, the breaking free from the uh, the ties that uh, that bind the heart, that uh, things that, that uh, hold us and burden us, burden our hearts. So, um, the, all of the different teachings that uh, that we that we speak or, or hear, uh, all the different practices, different aspects of of what goes on, all of these are really directed to this this one. A reasonably simple uh, goal, and as the, the, the uh, common truism that we all hear is simple but not easy. But just having that sense of of the aim in mind at the beginning is a useful thing. That uh, we're not trying to create anything, we're not trying to get rid of anything, we're not trying to become something. Uh, we're looking into this uh, strange conundrum of human life that we all uh, are. Uh, Endowed with looking into this to to discover what 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 this really is, and uh, so that um, all of the um, the forms, all of the routine, the meditation, um, the the self discipline, is all geared to that simple end. So um, one way of describing this or formalizing this is in, um, say, taking refuge in the Triple Gem. We, uh, we, we began with this uh, short recitation of these verses, uh, formalized in, this, in the chanting that we do and in these words, um, to take refuge in, in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha. And um, there are different ways of, of uh, reading this, the, the language of the chanting, uh, tends to speak of things in, um, particularly the refuge in Buddha, refuge in Sangha, of um, 
things, qualities which are, are say, more characterized by external forms, like uh, seeming to speak of, of the Buddha as uh, our teacher uh, two and a half thousand years ago, and um, the qualities of that particular remarkable being. A refuge in, in uh, Sangha describes the, 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 this mysterious phrase of the, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. Those of you who are familiar with the chanting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking about those, uh, the community of those who have awakened to the truth, the people at the four different levels of, of liberation. As a Sangha, the, the spiritual community of those who have uh, awakened are awakening. But uh, more usefully, more effectively, and, and significantly, um, when we, we bow, when we, we pay our respects to the shrine, then um, what really is our refuge? If we're, we're paying respects to that which is a refuge, that which is a, a jewel, the triple gem, that which is precious, bright, indestructible, that which is of, of true value, that which is of, uh, a source of true worth and safety, then, then what is that? Um, so is it just the, the memory of a, or the knowledge of a great teacher who lived two and a half thousand years ago, or um, is it something closer to home? The, um, for something to be a refuge, it has to be something that's accessible now, because you, know, you never know when the thunderbolt's going to land. So you better have some shelter nearby. You know, the, those of you, those of us who've, who've when, when in dire straits have tried to hang on to a memory or an idea or a concept or an ideal, I have vivid memories of attempting to do that and uh, it being ex extraordinarily disappointing <laughs> when in some firestorm of, of anguish and trying to conjure up the memory of some special um, person or some kind of wonderful idea or principle, um, I can remember on such a, such an occasion where just like holding up a kind of wet rag. <laughs> so that's that's it. It's not going to do me much good right now. So the refuge, uh, a refuge has to be something which is a quality of our own being, something which is uh, inescapable, that we can't be uh, separated from. Otherwise, it's, it's not accessible in that way, then what use is it to us? So when we, we reflect on the Buddha as refuge, then we look at the internal aspect or what, what that quality of Buddha really is. So Buddha means uh, awake, the one that is awake, the one who knows, that which is wise. So uh, along with that being embodied in the archetype of, uh, of Gautama Buddha, um, we also see that that's why that is meaningful to us or, or, or resonates for us is because um, that uh, ideal of the great master uh, resonates with that quality uh, of our own heart, that capacity that we all have to be awake, to be wise, to know, and not just not knowing about, not having a collection of facts, but the very quality of, of knowing itself, like as in this very moment, um, hearing the sounds of these words, feeling the, the heat or cool of the body, the pressure of your, uh, of your, your legs, your, your body on the cushion, on the chair, the, uh, 
all of the, the constellation of impressions of this moment, that which knows this moment, the feeling of this, being tired, being um, agitated, being comfortable, being pleased, being relieved, being uh, anxious, whatever it might be, that which is knowing this, the awareness within which these this, uh, clusters of, uh, of changing impressions is, uh, is embraced, is, is known. This awareness, this quality of knowing, this is the, the Buddha, which is a refuge. Oh, obviously this is um, uh, offered for reflection, it's not a kind of dogmatic teaching that everyone has to suddenly kind of sign on and believe. But hopefully during this time, uh, and those of, uh, th- those of us who are gathered here, yeah, we've gathered here to change, we've gathered here to, to um, uh, see, to awaken. So that um, hopefully during this, this coming time, this will be a quality that we learn to, to recognize more and more fully and to take refuge in more and more fully. Being um, that which knows rather than identifying with um, the body or the personality, all the things that we habitually take of as me, this person, you know, our name, our appearance, our face, our gender, our age, our personality, Characteristics, uh, uh, whatever the uh, our score on the uh, the personality inventories have come up as <laughs> introvert, extrovert, scientific, artistic, uh, dominant, recessive, whatever it might be, to uh, all of those things that we habitually descri- how we describe ourselves, our occupation. You know, I am a monk. I am a mother. I am. A failure. <laughs> I am a doctor. I am all of the I am's. That uh, taking refuge in Buddha is is a letting go of the habitual I am's and uh, and say letting the the heart rest in that quality of knowing knowing the I am's knowing the the uh, habitual identities that we we conjure up, create, have got so familiar that we don't even debate them anymore. Now when, when uh, we were coming here, we got pulled over by the um, Massachusetts uh, police force in their snappy hats. Yeah. <laughs> they look very uncomfortable to wear. A little kind of <laughs> steel cowboy hats. But, um, anyway, we were unwittingly... Um, traveling faster than the speed conventionally allowed on that particular street. <laughs> of course, we were following someone else who was showing us the way. But, uh, but when the, um, when the, the um, officer uh, comes to your window and says, license please, you do not say, there is no self, officer. <laughs> that is not the time to get clever <laughs> or offer the Dharma teaching. It is not being requested at that time. <laughs> If he comes to your window and says, please teach me the Dhamma, <laughs> you know, I wish to awaken, you say, say there is no self-officer. He says, oh, wonderful, I knew there was something wrong here. <laughs> so we, certainly we, um, we don't sort of cling foolishly or, 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 or grasp foolishly the, the principles of, of non-self, not self. 
but uh, we we learned we're, we're using this concept of of refuge and the, the quality of, of letting go of identity identification just to recognize what has always been the reality what has always been the, the safe place what has always been that which is a true worth um, so that the identity, the personality can, can do its thing. When we need to be someone for a police officer, we can do that. When we're registering for the retreat, you know, and you come up to the desk and, and say, yes, well, what's your name? You say, oh, I have no name. <laughs> I am nothing. Say, yes, well, <clears throat> thank you very much. So it's you know, foolish to operate in that way. But it's a matter of seeing through uh, these um, conventions to a, a quality of uh, of an underlying wisdom, knowingness, that is um, the field of all experience, but that is uh, invulnerable, unshakable, cannot like a like a mirror reflecting the beautiful and the ugly cannot be harmed or embellished by uh, what, by what appears in it. Well, the refuge in Dhamma, if the refuge in Buddha is um, Taking refuge in the, the the knowing, the one who knows, and the Dhamma is the, the way things are, the true nature of things, rather than the way I think they should be, or the way that I'm used to, or the way that um, that uh, the world judges these things to be, but the way that life actually is. So uh, this is uh, experienced again internally. It's not just the Dhamma as some sort of esoteric, etheric force, off in the, uh, some strange wave band. It's not, um, even the books of teachings uh, of the Buddha or the great enlightened beings. But the Dhamma is, you know, the very um, uh, fabric of, of nature, our own nature, the nature around us, mental, physical realm, how it, what nature is, what that, what, how that works. The orderliness of, of a, uh, truth of, of nature itself, how that functions. Refuge in Sangha, um, as an internal quality, is, um, in a way, it's, if you reflect upon um, Sangha as that which enables us to function, as a unified assembly. Like that's what Sangha means, is a perfectly unified assembly. A group, which is separate parts, but which are harmoniously joined together. So that, um, in taking refuge in Sangha, it's like a letting go of self-centeredness. Letting go of the self-centered view. So when the Buddha sees the Dhamma, then what arises is the Sangha. What arises is um, a, a letting go of that um, self-concern, the self-centered view of things, letting go of um, that, in order to say exist as, or, or to recognize one as oneself as part of a group. Like as on this retreat, we have, we're now this this organism of uh, eighty some odd cells, and some are called um, retreatant cells, and some are called. Um, monk or nun or anagarika 
cells. Some are called staff. Some are called um, uh, administration. <laughs> we all have our different uh, labels and forms, but we are at this time we've, we we become a group and that we exist as a member of a group. And there's a quality of of ease and relief when the heart lets go of being just me, the 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 uh, individual. Uh, independent and cut off, and just trying to sustain that false quality of independence. Because you know, independence can only be relative, and an opening, releasing into being part of a sangha. And um, I mean, there are different ways one can reflect upon this, but just seeing refuge in sangha is like. Uh, letting oneself be part of that group of the enlightened, the virtuous, letting the heart be um, carried by those uh, natural standards of virtue and wisdom that uh, are characteristics of our, of our own nature. That when we let go of self-concern, we take refuge in sangha, that means then um, the heart naturally adopts the standards, the qualities of virtue. We, we that, that in us which loves the good, is freed to act upon that. That which loves simplicity and honesty, uh, harmlessness, is then freed up to act completely in that way. So refuge in sangha internally is that simple abandonment of, of self-concern. So on this uh, retreat, we um, we formalize our commitment to being members of this this group, this sangha, um, by uh, taking the the eight precepts together. And um, so we'll we'll do that at the uh, the end of this this evening. And this is um, uh, a rather special occasion since we have three people who have asked to, to formally take on the the uh, anagarika. Uh, life, at least for the, the period of 10 days, although one is thinking of going on longer. I just heard this evening. <laughs> and so that, um, that uh, the, these three people will, um, will when we come and take the precepts, then they'll come up front and, and uh, formally request them at the same time as everyone else. So that um, the, the, the formal taking of precepts, or the, the shaving of the head, the putting on of, of robes and so forth, these are all various and different ways of expressing a um, a commitment or a, a, a gesture of taking refuge in Sangha as in an external way. And that uh, like surrendering up one's life to to um, to be a part of that group. So on the external level, like you know, say for people like uh Tanpuna Dhammo, myself and Jodi Palo as as uh, fully ordained monks, then you know, when we get up in the morning we don't have to think about our wardrobe. You know when the time comes around for, for a head shaving day, we don't think, well, how shall I shave my head? <laughs> it's kind of left to right or right to left, you know, front to back or back to front, which is <laughs> not a lot of variety one can play with. So there's a, and sometimes, particularly in the land of the rugged individualist, which is where I believe we are, <laughs> speaking as an alien, actually I have a green card now, so I'm a legal alien now. That um, the uh, there's a, a kind of resentment of of uh, indivi- our individualism being threatened, but also individualism has a very close companion, which is called loneliness and alienation. And so, for all the wonders and, and blessings that come from individualism, 
then we also tend to experience its partner, its companion also, and find ourselves, um, uh, say, with a heart which is, which is lonely and barren, cut off. So for the, the gesture of uniformity that, that is part of, implied as part of the Buddhist tradition, um, what it's really trying to do is, is say, as an external form, as a symbol, as, a, as an archetype, representing that, uh, that inner quality of refuge in Sangha, that letting go of, of selfishness, of self-centeredness, and that um, letting the heart be released into its natural disposition towards virtue and wisdom. There's a very beautiful uh, discourse of the Buddhas that I'm fond of, of quoting, um, which comes in the, the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Book of the Eights, it's, and it's where the Buddha is describing his idea for creating a, 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 a Sabbath day, an observance day. And uh, usually the Buddha only established sort of forms, like laid down rules and precepts because of particular incidents or events. And this is unusual because it was just uh, largely out of his own imagination. That there was some interest in the community in having some kind of observance day like the other religious groups of his time on the lunar days. And he agreed to do that. And then, uh, yeah, that would be good if we had an observance day like all the others. But how should we do that? And so this is what he came up with. He, he considered, well, all their lives, enlightened beings, uh, those who are enlightened, the arahants, never deliberately take the life of another living being. It's impossible for them to take the life of another living being. Wouldn't it be a, a good thing for the... Um, for the white, uh, the white-clad laity, on the observance days of the new and full moon, to also follow this 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 way, and, and in that way they will be living as the arahants do. And so too with all the other precepts about not taking not taking that which is not given, celibacy, um, abstaining from false and harmful speech, not using intoxicants, uh, not eating in the in the latter part of the day, not using jewelry or makeup. Uh, seeking entertainment, dancing, singing, uh, playing frisbee, etc., etc. Fun. <laughs> that, uh, and then finally, the uh, using kind of luxurious sleeping accommodations, a lot of indulgence in, overindulgence in sleep. For each one of those, he reflects, all their lives, the arahants you know, never take what is not given to them or, or never use, are inclined to use intoxicants. Uh, that it's the natural dis- disposition of the of the liberated heart is just this way. So that this is a very beautiful uh, manner in which to understand and appreciate the eight precepts. That they're not this set of, of diktats imposed from from without because it's, it's, this is what the, the the law requires of us, like the uh, thirty-five mile an hour speed limit, <laughs> sort of imposed. Uh, on particular stretches of road, it's like, oh, well, this is just the, what's imposed on us. If we, you know, it's the deal. If we come on these monastic retreats, then we have to do this eight precept thing. But it's much more skillful to recognize, like in our best moments, in our clearest moments, c- could we ever possibly take the life of another being? You know, the hand actually can't move to to harm another being. In, in our in our clearest, most easy moments, c- can we possibly tell a lie? Can we speak harshly or cruelly? We, we can't do it. The tongue won't form the words. The heart just won't, won't provide the energy to do that. 
And all of us, have, I, I have no doubt, have had that kind of experience. So that in this way, looking upon the eight precepts as really a formalization of what uh, is the, say, the natural disposition of, of our deepest nature. Um, so it's, it's spelled out in these particular words and phrases and structures. But um, it's really, that's its aim. And by establishing those structures in an external pattern, then what that's doing is helping uh, the, our, our behaviors to be more, uh, to resonate more, more clearly and fully with our, own, our heart's own deepest nature, its deepest longing, what in our heart of hearts we most respect and love and, and are. Uh, the, the other thing I just thought I would mention just uh, on the opening evening um, is that um, you know, in this, the efforts that we make during this time um, can be guided by all kinds of different things. You know, the efforts in meditation, efforts in trying to, to um, follow the, the routine, uh, efforts in you know, trying to, to calm, to focus, to awaken uh, our minds, our hearts. We can go about these in, in all sorts of different ways. We can go about this um, with attitudes of aversion. Uh, we can be here to kind of finally tame our thoughts once and for all, to to uh, train our unruly emotions and and dispositions. It can be uh, uh, out of desire to have. Um, uh, Enlightened states of mind to 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 get concentration, to get insight, to become um, a much a person who is much better, brighter, and wiser, and and so forth. It can be out of fear. It can uh, fear of of um, of our own inner demons, fear of of our memories, fear of our own weaknesses and obsessions, fear of the situation that we're living in. So I would suggest that you know that at the beginning of a retreat like this is a good time to consider, you know, what our, our habitual motivations might be. And I'm not saying that the, you know all motivations are necessarily negative in that way, but we can have very noble aspirations, um, and that in a way the the, the most skillful. Uh, intention, the most skillful motivation to establish at the beginning of a time like this is um, to come, is to intend to come here, to be here, to involve ourselves uh, in this work together um, out of a fundamental uh, attitude of, of kindness. The kindest thing we can do to ourselves, for ourselves, the kindest thing that we can do for the world is to awaken. So it's not through fear of being reborn as something horrible, <laughs> fear uh, not through desire to become uh, a brilliant being, desire to um, get rid of all of our problems, get rid of our anger and pain. But um, because uh, it's so easy for um, our subtle Qualities of, the, uh, um, of negativity, subtle qualities of desire, of greed, 
fear, aversion, to sort of wheedle their way in and, and come up with a good script and uh, take over our spiritual uh, inclinations. And so that uh, without realizing it, we find that uh, our meditation has become a, a battleground or become a kind of uh, uh, a, you know, a, a, a greed situation or a fear situation. Uncon- unbeknownst to us, un- uh, invisible to us. So it's helpful just to, to see you know, if that if if we do experience any of those patterns, and to consciously incline away from that, and to say just to to establish the intent to to work with the mind on a basis of of kindness, of um, of working not only as a, an act of kindness towards ourselves and others, but also the very way in which we we work. Oftentimes, metta is described as loving kindness, and the the emphasis goes on the love piece, and, and sometimes this is very perplexing to people because, uh, you know, when you, you're instructed in metta practice and to have loving kindness towards um, the the people that you like, the people that are close to you, also to the people who have hurt you, the people that, that hate you, that you hate, that you have great difficulty with, or people who have committed great cruelty and injustice in the world. But it. In this respect, it's much more helpful to understand metta more as more from the the kindness aspect rather than the love aspect, because we misunderstand the word love. Very, the English word love has all kinds of loadings. That, um, as Ajahn Sumedho is uh, very often is fond of saying, that we don't have because we love something doesn't mean to say that we have to like it. The way that we use the word love tends to blur into meaning I like it or I want this or I approve of this. But metta doesn't imply that at all. It applies an openness of heart that can recognize that everything belongs, that beauty belongs and ugliness belongs, kindness belongs and cruelty belongs, that uh, happiness belongs and unhappiness, success and failure. It's all part of the natural order. So we're not saying that we like it, we're not trying to sugar everything over, but we're just finding that place in our heart which cannot dwell in aversion, towards that, which can not dwell in, in hatred or negativity, which can say, yeah, there's a place for this too. There's a place for loss, and there's a place for pain, there's a place for sickness as well as health and beauty and the delights of spring. So working with a, a quality of uh, setting the intention to work with our, our minds with this quality of, of great kindness, then the effort that we put forth will, will bear great fruit and be very uh, fruitful, beautiful in that respect. If we unconsciously wade into our meditation practice and and uh, operate from a place of of um, gaining, trying to, to, to get something or, or get rid of, or a place of, of anxiety and fearfulness, then the method conditions the uh, the result. The means conditions the end. So if we work with a with a, a kind of agitated, aversive, uh, anxious or greedy means, then that will affect the end. Whereas if we work with a with a, a, a means which is kindly, which is uh, harmonious, which accords with with dhamma, then that will also affect the end in the same way. So I'll leave those uh, words for you to reflect on for the evening and um
please take what is uh, what is useful and what is not please leave aside uh, we'll finish with uh, taking the eight precepts so if our three uh, in newly enlightened enlightened beings would like to come front center So the, the way that this is customarily done is to, uh, to begin by bowing three times and then uh, after that, then um, on behalf of, of everybody and particularly these three, then, then Miley will offer this uh, tray of candles, flowers and incense. Uh, these are the traditional offerings representing um, uh, sila, uh, Virtue, concentration, and wisdom, and um, and then after she's offered the tray, then um, you do the the request together, which is here at the top of um, page eighteen. And uh, the first part we'll just do in the Pali together, and then the, the last part we'll do the, the precepts we'll do in Pali and English. Is that clear enough? Okay. Start with a request. Start with the request. Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudhasa Namo Tassa Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dhamang 
Sanghang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Dutiyampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Tatiyampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami Tatiyampi Dhamang Sarananga Chami Tatiyampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Okay, so turn over. Panati Pata Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Adinadana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Abramacharya Veramani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. Musavada Veramani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drink and drugs which lead to carelessness. I undertake the precept to refrain from 
vikala bhojana veramani sikaparang samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from eating at inappropriate times. So this one we'll do in pieces. Nacha Gita Vadita Visukadasana Mala Ganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vipusanatana Vera Mani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from entertainment, beautification and adornment. Ucha sayana maha sayana vera mani sika parang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from lying on a high or luxurious sleeping place. Imani Atasika Padani Samadhyami Sikapadani Silena Sugatinyandi Silena Boga Sambada Silena Nebutinyanti Tasama Silang Viso Daye So I'd like to welcome Maile and Lisa and Jeremy into the Noble Order of Anagarikas and also the rest of uh, the crew on board. And uh, wish us all well for this um, voyage together. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll finish the evening with the, uh, the little closing homage, which is at the end of the evening chanting in English. One, I render homage to the Buddha, 
the Blessed One. The teaching so completely explained by Him, I bow to the Tamma. The Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha. This talk was given by a John Amro at Insight Meditation Society on May 11, 2001. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio.